when uh, our daughter Dottie <clears throat> was in high school, she went off to a youth camp. And <clears throat> while she was there, she got revelation from God, as very often happens at youth camp. And when she came home, she told us she was going to be married to a minister. And so she went off to college, went off to a Christian college, and uh, whenever she would meet a young man, one of the first things that she would say, especially if he told her he, she was, uh, he was going to seminary, was, well, I'm going to be married to a minister. The only problem was is that when she, as soon as she told them that, uh, she wouldn't see him again. <laughs> and so she went all the way through uh, college and didn't get any offers. Uh, she went to graduate school. <laughs> Didn't get any offers, and then she thought, well, you know, there's, there's just no hope for me. College is over with. And she ended up at Messiah and uh, met John. And John said, I'm over here at Evangelical Seminary. And Dottie said, that's nice, John. <laughs> hope that works out for you. <laughs> well, and the rest is history. So uh, there's a sermon right in there, ladies, right there. Um, we have a tradition in our family, uh, my wife Jan and I, uh, ever since we were married, one of the things that we committed to was to try our best to attend every graduation, every uh, special event, um, every anniversary that was, that was meaningful in our family. And we've been to lots of graduations, in fact... Uh, we went to John's installation at Grace Church down in Columbia, South Carolina. Mike and Ruthie, you remember that, don't you? And y'all were there at, at the ordination, or not the ordination, but the graduation from seminary, from evangelical seminary over here in My Myerstown, not too far away. Uh, it hasn't been too awfully long ago, but we were all there. The whole family was there. And uh, I noticed on the program that they had several awards that they were giving that particular day. But as the, as the day began to, uh, to go on, none of the awards were going to John. And we got down to the very last award, and I said, I guess he's just not going to get anything. But I noticed that the last award was the Best Preacher Award. And I said out of all, to myself, out of all the, the awards that were there, that's the one that would really be good for him to get. And so, I thought I was at the Miss America pageant, you know, may I have the envelope please kind of thing, as they got ready to do their very last award, and he said, and the winner, no, he didn't say that. He said, <laughs> he said, and the recipient of the best preacher award is John, and before he could get the Weigel out, I did a pump fist and said, <laughs> yes! Probably a little too loud, but... You know, all I could do is people began to look at me. I said, he's my son-in-law. <laughs> anyway, I was so proud. You all have the best preacher here. And it's uh, what a joy it is to be able to, to be here, to be part of, of your installation. And I know Mike and Ruthie, you all are extremely proud. And, and Dave and, and Jenny and, and the whole family. And you all, because it's been a year and a half. It's been a long time coming. And yet God is, is ready to do something here. I want to talk to you this morning, I talk with you this morning, about leadership. Leadership is so vitally important to any organization 
and especially to the church. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 17, and we'll read the, the first seven verses. But while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about, um, since we're going to be talking about leadership, let me tell you a little bit about a leader that I served under when I was in the Navy. I was assigned to a, a ship, a destroyer, out of Norfolk, Virginia, way back in the 60s during the Vietnam War. And the captain of my ship, his name was Lucien Capone. Yeah, that's what I said. I, <laughs> this guy, I, I'm sure he was a distant relative of Al. I mean, uh, you talk. I mean, he was a very effective leader in the sense of getting the the job done. His his whole vision was to be battle ready. And Lucian Capone made sure that the USS Dahlgren, DLG 12, was battle ready. Now we took. Uh, we were uh, deployed to the Middle East at the time. We were doing plane guard for the, for the carriers off the backside of Vietnam. And uh, we always had that mission in front of us, being battle ready. And so we spent seven and a half months uh, on this deployment. Only in the Navy they call them cruises. Can you imagine? Some people wait all their life to go on a cruise. I got to do it at 22 years old. Uh, only you probably wouldn't want to go on these types of cruises because we went to places that nobody would ever pay to go to. I mean, there's no, no question about that. But when the seven-and-a-half-month cruise was over, we headed back to the United States. We were heading back to Norfolk, Virginia, our home port. And as we got ready to, uh, to come into our home port, we were scheduled to arrive on July the 2nd, 1969 having spent seven and a half months in the Middle East in the Persian Gulf and on the other side of India, I had not talked to Jan, my wife, for seven and a half months. We didn't have FaceTime and all of that kind of thing back in those days. Uh, we had snail mail, and it was snail mail in the sense that we would get them about three weeks late. I mean, I didn't even know who had won the Super Bowl back in January. It was that bad, and we were really ready to get home. 350 men on our ship. We wanted to get home really, really bad. But on July the 1st, as we were getting ready to pull into Norfolk, Virginia, Lucien Capone, Captain Capone, said, we will not, we will not uh, come into port as quickly as I'm sure many of you wanted to because we need to be battle ready. And because of that, we're going to anchor off the coast of Virginia, and we're going to paint the ship, and we're going to polish the brass, and we're going to press and clean all the, the dress uniforms so that when we go into port, we will be battle ready. Well, <laughs> that didn't go over really, really all that well with the, uh, with the complement of sailors that were on there. I mean, we hadn't seen our families for seven and a, six and a half months. And yet, we anchored out, and from July the 2nd, to July the 5th, we painted the ship, we uh, pressed the uniforms, we polished the brass. Jan said she would drive down to Virginia Beach and would look out and see us anchored out there. But that's the type of leader he was. He was a bottom-line leader. And a lot of people lead that way. In other words, they basically say, what's in it for me? 
if the bottom line looks good, I'll look good. And all organizations have it. It doesn't matter whether you're in the Navy or in a bank. It doesn't matter whether you're at a school or in a church. We are judged by the bottom line. You know, what's the profits to, uh, to earnings ratio? Uh, how many games have you won, coach, this year? Pastor, how many people do you have coming to your church service? That's the way we judge. We judge in a very natural way. Bottom line leaders are in the business of looking good because we're judged that way. And Captain Capone was no different, and very often many organizations are no different. And yet, God says, that's not the way I want leadership to act. I have a totally different plan in mind. Does the bottom line mind of course, uh, uh, matter? Of course it does. But it's a byproduct of what God's calling us to do as leaders. Bottom line leaders are in the business of making themselves look good, and very often they have to watch their back because they make lots of enemies along the way. Because they're going to be willing to step on anybody or do anything they can in order to make sure that that bottom line is acceptable and judged accordingly. And God says, I'm calling you into leadership, but I'm calling you to a different kind of leadership. Now, would you believe that Moses ran into the same problem? I mean, here's a great leader in all of Scripture. If you look back in the, the Old Testament, you see Moses being a man chosen of God to be the leader of the Israelites. He led them out of captivity. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them into the wilderness. He produced, through God's help, manna and water out in the wilderness. And yet, when times got tough, he got results-oriented. Because they were led, here in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, they were led to a place where there was no water. And the people needed leadership, and Moses was not willing to give the kind of leadership that God needed in order to bring them through the wilderness and on into the promised land. He never was able to lead them in. And so in Exodus 17, he gives us some principles, some keys to church leadership, to leadership in ministry, to leadership in a godly way that you can apply not just in the church, but you can apply at, at your place of business as well. So I'm going to be talking to you, John, because you have been chosen to be the leader. But if you look at it, folks, all of us, if we're born again, if we know Jesus Christ, you are called to be a leader. And so I'm not just speaking to the positional leadership of a living legacy. I'm talking to all believers here. And God wants us to be leaders in his kingdom. So let's read, uh, if you have that, uh, that section of, of, of Scripture, uh, you can put that up there. Good, Exodus 17, the first seven verses. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along or look on the, uh, the overhead. It says that all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched 
in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They almost are ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee and there upon the rock in Oreb. And thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us? or not. Here's the situation. You've got some thirsty people, some thirsty followers, and Moses is not leading them. He's concerned about himself. And when, when God approaches him about it, he says, these people are just murmuring. These people are just upset. And in a sense, he almost blames God for it. If you go back to the garden, that's exactly what Adam did when he failed to lead his family and sinned. He says, it's that woman you gave me. And not only did he blame it on the woman, he blamed it on God for giving him the woman. And that's what Moses was doing. He was passing the buck. He said, look, it's not me, it's these thirsty Israelites that you've given me. Results oriented people are looking out for themselves. People who are called to leadership in God's kingdom are people oriented. And God is saying to us we need to shift our focus from the bottom line to the kingdom. And what is the kingdom all about? Two things. Loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's on these two commandments that everything else hangs. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom of God and all these things, all these bottom lines will be added to you. You don't have to worry about them. They're a byproduct of loving God and loving people. So disciples of Christ, leaders in the kingdom are people-oriented, not results-oriented. And he gives us three very basic principles in verse 5. In verse 5 of Exodus 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, there's the first key, and take with thee the elders of Israel, there's the second key, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go, and there's the third key. I want us to look at these three keys to leadership that God calls you and me to. Verse 1 says that the congregation journeyed in the wilderness and there was no water to drink. 
Verse 3 says, the people thirsted. This is what Moses overlooked. The people. And so what the Lord is saying uh, to Moses is that you've got to see what the needs of the people are. Become people focused. They have no water. They're needy people. And if you're going to be a leader in the kingdom, then you're going to need to be people focused. So God shows us, shows us right here to what to do. Notice that the first part, if you'll put that, that uh, verse back up there, that verse 5, thanks. He said to Moses, go on before the people. What is he saying? Walk out in front, Moses. The people have nobody to look to. A leader needs to be in front so that people will do what? Follow. If Moses is not out in front, if your leader is not out in front, if your leader is not visible in leading, the followers won't know where to go. And so he says, the first key to leadership in the kingdom is to walk on before the people. In other words, be an example. Give something for people to, to uh, look to. See, Moses had been behind them trying to push them. We're not driving cattle in church. We're leading sheep. The shepherd needs to be, what, in front. Needs to be in front so that the sheep will know where to go. They wanted to follow, but they had no one to follow. They had no leader. Now, Moses didn't do it, but Jesus would come along later and give them a great example. Remember that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And Jesus would come along and say, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear me. My sheep follow me. My sheep know my voice. And I will give them something to follow. And he gave them leadership and God is telling Moses, if you are going to lead the people, and he's telling us, living legacy, to be examples so that people can follow. And that's an extremely important key. And you'll remember in John 13, where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, it's the night before he was crucified, and after supper, remember what he did? He washed the disciples' feet. And he said to them in verse 15 of, of chapter 13, I have done this as an example that you might go and do likewise, that you can do the same kind of thing. In other words, be people-oriented. What were their needs? Their needs were their feet needed to be cleaned. They had walked all day. In, in the dirt of, of Palestine, they had walked and they had picked up all this dirt and he's saying, this is their need and I'm going to meet their need and he washed their feet. And he was telling Moses, these people are thirsty. What do they need? They need somebody to give them water. 
you're going to have people coming to Living Legacy and they're going to be needy people. And if you're going to lead them besides still waters, you need to know what they're thirsting for. You need to know what they're hungry for. And we've got to move from this bottom line mentality to people-oriented leadership. I've done this as an example. He would have told the disciples when he first met them in, in Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They understood that terminology. Many of them were fishermen. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers, but it'll be of men. Watch me. And so for three years, they followed the example of Jesus. And they watched what he did. And he turned them into fishers of men because they saw what he did for three years. I was very blessed when I first went into the ministry myself because I began ministry in a very large church in southern Florida where I had a pastor, a senior pastor. I was on staff with uh, about uh, nine, nine pastors. And Pastor Lee was my senior pastor and he came to me and he said, uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to mentor you for five years and I want you just to follow me around. And so I did. Whenever there was a wedding, I followed Pastor Lee to the wedding. If there was a funeral, I followed him to the funeral. If we had to go to the hospital to pray for someone who was sick, I would go with him. And after about three years of this, we would, we would end up in a hospital, and then he would turn to me and he said, okay, now you pray for the person. And I said, me? And he said, yeah, you. You pray for them. And I was able to pray. Why? Because I had seen him pray for three years. And over the next two years, I would go with him, but he was getting me to pray. And then at the end of five years, and he says, you're ready to go. You're ready to leave this church. You're ready to go out and start your own ministry. And that's when the church we were in sent us out to North Carolina to plant a church. I had followed the leadership of a man who understood Christian leadership who understood the importance of being an example because he had read the scriptures he had seen where Jesus said come follow me I'll make you fishers of men and so these men for three years followed him and they watched Jesus and then he sent them out two by two remember and they went out and they did what they saw Jesus do and they came back and says wow this stuff really worked and he says then go ye therefore into all the world because now you know a key of leadership. And so that's what God's calling us to do in the church. Is it the bottom line kind of leadership that you see in the world? No. But it'll produce results. I guarantee there'll be eternal results as well. So, the first key. The second key, notice what it says. Take with thee the elders of Israel. A lot of times when people get into ministry, they think, well, now I'm in the position where I need to be the leader. And we do need to be a leader, but not necessarily the leader. You see, you've called a man to be your pastor. But you know what his job is, according to the Scripture? His job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
we shouldn't expect our hired professionals to do what we're supposed to do. We're all in this together. This is a team ministry. Take with you, Moses, the elders. Take with you those people that have been designated by me to be leaders. And if you're a born-again Christian, you've been designated, you've been called. The sad thing is that many are called, but few are chosen. The ones who are chosen are the ones who are faithful, available, and teachable, and ready to come in league and lock shields with the leadership of the church in order to accomplish the vision that God has given for a particular church. And so not only do we want to, to be an example, but we want to work hand in hand with those that God sends into our, into our midst. It's a, it's, a, a, a team, it's a team effort. I'm a, I'm a football fan. I, I, love, I love football. <clears throat> we were in South Florida in, during the years that the Miami Dolphins did so well in the, uh, in the NFL. They haven't done quite as well since I left. I don't know whether it was the fact that I was their best fan or what. But I tell you, I attribute much of their success to a man by the name of Don Shula, who was their coach. Now, the reason he was a great coach is that he didn't try to do everything himself. He looked at his team, and he saw a bunch of ragtag people. It was a makeshift team that had been put together from a, a, a league that had been considered secondary, the American Football Conference. And he looked at his team and he said, this is a team. You know, I'm not looking for superstars. Did he have a superstar? He did. He had a man who was, who was every time he touched the ball, he made four yards. His name was Larry Zonka. And so what did he do? He built a team around the talent that he had, but he didn't expect this one man to do, to do everything. What he did was he went out and got people that would complement his talents, and so he went out and got a very big uh, offensive line that could open a hole for Larry Zonka. So instead of just making four yards, the guy would make six and seven yards because he had a great, big, beefy offensive line. Didn't put a whole lot of money into a quarterback because he, they weren't going to pass the ball. But Larry, uh, Bob Greasy could hand off a ball without fumbling it, and that's all he wanted Take the ball, hand it to Larry Zonka, open a hole, and let him go six yards. And that's what they did for one season. That's why they lost no games. They had a no-name defense. Their defense was poor. But they stayed one touchdown ahead of all the opposing teams because every time Larry Zonka touched the ball, he made a touchdown. It was a team effort. And that's what living legacy is called to be, is a team effort. We're not expecting... John Weigel to do everything. He's not the paid professional here. He is simply an equipper of the saints for the work of the ministry. And he's called us together to do just that. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that will back this up. Ecclesiastes 4.9 Two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Deuteronomy 32 verse 30 One can put a thousand to flight Two can put 10,000 to flight. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you, if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything, it will be done of my Father which is in heaven. 
Do you see there's a pattern here? In a multitude of counselors, Proverbs says, there is safety. He wants us to come together as the body of Christ. And so what Moses was telling, was being told here, is that I need for you to be the team leader among leaders. The team leader among leaders. You know, this can work in the secular world too. Very often successful secular people have taken biblical principles and put them to effect. They may not even know that they're biblical principles, but they work. That's the principles of God. They always work. I was in the FBI for many, many years and we never did anything alone. We always worked together. When I was being mentored as a first office agent in Mobile, Alabama, I was assigned to a veteran agent and all I did was shadow that person. We would go to crime scenes together, we would go on arrests together, and I would just watch what he did. But about midway through that first year that I was in the FBI, my mentor would say, okay, we're going on arrests today and you get to put the cuffs on today. We're going to a crime scene today and you're going to lift the fingerprints. You're going to do the plaster cast. You're going to be the one that collects the evidence. So that at the end of the year, and I was transferred to Miami, then I was able to get a first office agent for myself, and he would do what? Come and watch me for about a half a year, and then I would begin to watch him. Biblical principle that applies not only in the secular world, but also applies in the church world. So, in a multitude of counselors, let legacy, living legacy uh, be moved. So, number one, follow the example of your leaders. Number two, work in teams. And then number three, notice it says, take thy rod. Wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Moses had a rod. Think back to Pharaoh's time with Moses. God gave Moses, this rod, and the first, uh, you know, the first encounter he had with the rod, he said, take, take the rod, Moses, and throw it down. And Moses threw it down and it turned to a snake, didn't it? He picked it up and it turned back into a rod again. He said, my rod has power. It was the same rod that he took and he touched the Nile River and the Nile River turned to blood. You see... When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and thy rod and thy staff comfort me, it was the authority of God that Jesus came in. And we come in that same authority, that same power that Jesus came in. Take the rod of God. You know, they, they, Proverbs talks about the rod of correction as you bring children up, as you rear children we have a rod which is not only the rod of correction that Proverbs talks about, but it's the authority that needs to be set in the home and authority needs to be set in the church and authority is the very power of God. It's not man's authority, it's God's authority. Pastor John comes in the authority, in the power of God's Holy Spirit. He doesn't come in his own natural ability. He comes with the power, with the rod of God, which is the authority that God gives us. And that's the biblical, that's the biblical mandate of leaders is to come 
in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the way Moses was to make decisions, was within the power of God. Jesus told the disciples as he was getting ready to leave, he had been their example, he had taught them how to do teamwork, but he was getting ready to go away. And he says, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But I want you to tarry in Jerusalem and wait so that you can be endued from what? Power from on high. And so they went to Jerusalem, they went to an upper room, and on the day of Pentecost, the power of God rested upon the disciples, upon those 120 people. Remember, Luke had said in, in, um, in Acts 1.8, and ye shall receive, he was quoting Jesus here, and ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses. Ye shall be my leaders in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He was saying, you can't do this in your own power. You have to do it in the power of God. So wait and receive that power from on high. Matthew 28, verse 18, all power, this is Jesus speaking, all power has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, the great commission is completed in the power of God. Natural leaders will try to do things in their own power because they're after the bottom line. They're looking for self-service. And we're in the people business. And in order to be in the people business, we can't do it on our, our own selves. We have to depend upon the power of God. So God gave Moses this rod. He gave him this authority. And he gives you and me a rod as well. He gives power to the church. And that enables us. So, let me sum all of this up. What God is not calling us to do is to be bottom line leaders in the church. God's not interested in the number of people that show up here. He's only interested in the people that show up here. And there's a difference. And when the leader looks at the people and doesn't look at the bottom line, he sees the needs of the people, he sees where their deficiencies are, or she sees their wants and desires and their needs, and then that person becomes the focus of ministry. And then that leader can be an example to that person. And that leader realizes that, hey, I can't do this alone, I'm going to need a worship team, I'm going to need a pastoral care team, I'm going to need a visitation team. I'm going to need a fellowship team. I'm going to, I'm going to need someone to, to lock shields with me and go into the community and preach the gospel to everyone. But we need to do it on a team basis. And then finally, we have to do this not in our own strength, but in the power of the God who has sent us. So, very simple, isn't it? Three-point sermon. Hopefully you can remember that as you move forward because God has got so much for living legacy. Despise not small beginnings, the scriptures tell us. And so my prayer is that the next time I come, 
back here, and I, I do intend to come back because I have a feeling there's going to be other things that happen here, other exciting, eventful days, and, I, and Jen and I are going to be on our way up here, and I know Mike and Ruthie probably will as well, and we'll be able to see what God has done in you and through you because of the leadership that God is bringing and developing in Living Legacy Church. So let me pray for you as we move on into uh, installing John, and uh, let's agree. Here's what the, the agreement prayer is all about. Again, I say unto you, if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it will be done. So would you agree with me in prayer that, that, that this day today will not just be another service, but will be an experience with the living God.